Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Tai Chi hits hard, but opens soft. A channel by any other name will charge just as much. And we look at the films English of English and Looper. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, October 10th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from his super-secret location, recovering still from uh, Mooncake Madness right here in the Fragrant Harbor, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, How are you, Paul? I'm doing well. Busy, busy, busy is the word for October for me. Uh, but other than that, I'm healthy and I'm happy and getting wiser by the moment. How are you? Um, yeah, busy for me as well. And actually was quite productive uh, doing a lot of uh, work at work, of course, and, and some freelance stuff until I ran into a little technology snafu uh, on Sunday. Ah, do tell. Yes, um, so I was out in the airport uh, going to the, the IMAX cinema there, checking out the IMAX cinema there to watch um, Tai Chi uh, Zero in, in 3D IMAX, and I figured I'd get some work done, um, which included writing a DOS review, and, you know, hour, hour and 30 minutes at, at Pacific Coffee, finished the review, um, was going to, you know, take it home, send it home, and, and, and get it proof right there, and what I usually do is I type on my iPad with an with a Office so- uh, app, and upload it to to my Google Drive. I guess now it's Google Drive, and then you know, and then and that's how I get it at home because um, I don't want to keep multiple copies of it, so I just you know press move. Right. Um, the problem is after and Google Drive's been giving us trouble, you know, especially with the the notes for the show. Sharing the notes for the show has been kind of problematic with the, with the new Google Drive. Um, but when I was uploading it. Okay, I went through the authentication process, which apparently is new because uh, of the Google Drive thing. Um, the file went through, but when I opened the file by Google Drive's app, I got a blank piece of paper. Hmm. 750 words, and, you know, very, it's not easy for you to write for someone like DOS. And, you know, a lot of hard work. Uh, I wrote for about two days, and suddenly gone like that because of these, these you know, stupid little incompatibility issue. And mostly I blame Google Drive. I don't know why, but I blame Google Drive. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, and you checked to make sure that there wasn't a, like a backup copy somewhere uh, on Google Drive itself? or No, the thing is the file went through, so Google Drive has to file, mm-hmm. but it just has a blank file. So I don't know who to blame here. Uh, Office has always had trouble with, with um, uh, Google Docs, actually, because when we did the show on, on the iPad, um, I would have trouble updating the notes yeah. via that app. Yeah. Um. So so that app's already been problematic with Google Google Drive or uh, Google Docs uh, all along. But now this 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 new thing has actually cost me loss of data, and yeah. it's very frustrating because it's not it's a second there's a second strike with Google Drive for me. I blame Apple. 
Because <laughs> you said what you were doing on an iPad, right? I was doing an iPad, yeah, but because you're not using it's it's because you're not using the iCloud, right? They sabotaged you, just like they sabotaged uh, the iMaps for people, right? Uh, of course, they uh, got rid of, of Google Maps, and you've got to use their maps. Otherwise, it's doom for you. So, no, um, yeah, unfortunately, stuff like that does happen. Um, when I migrated to Google Drive a couple weeks ago, it was doing all kinds of funny stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully they'll get their issues worked out and uh, we'll all live in a bright and bold new media future. Actually, it is a third strike for us, for Google, for me, for Google Drive already, because first they switched to Google Drive. They, they, they forced people to down. They only allowed um, people to download in DocX um, format, no mm. longer with the 97 to 2003 compatibility version, which means uh, or Doc, you know, now it's DocX, which is you have to have. Um, uh, Office 2000 to to open those files, yeah. um, and then of course we have the Nook sharing problem, which um, was fixed. Seems to be working normal today, thankfully. Um, and this this it's it's uh, why why did Google have to fix something that didn't need yeah. to be fixed? You know, another thing that you can consider too, if you're going to be out in the about and and do a writing, and it's something that I would do is is just do a backup of. Uh, have a secondary drive, a secondary cloud drive like um, Dropbox, that's yeah. free and can easily, you know, they'll they'll give you like uh, was it like three or four, four gigabytes right off the bat, and uh, yeah, they're always I, having I, promotions. I, like I, I got I got up to five gigabytes because they had these things where if I shared photos from my media devices and I had like three of them, so every time they gave me like a a point five gig upgrade and I'm up to like five gigs for free now. And um, you, you just hold on to something like that. So when you do an upload to your Google Drive, do a secondary upload, you know, to um, to uh, Dropbox just as a as a backup in case something does happen. Because yeah, it really does stink if you're out there doing some creative work and you spend considerable time and then suddenly it just vanishes into the cyber nether, right? Yeah, it, it's very frust frustrating because. You know, you adapt new technology and and you try to you know try new things and they'll work for for a while and then something this disastrous happens and you wonder whether you can actually rely on these things anymore. You know, and of course I was stupid enough to to move the file instead of copying the file, which are actually saved. Still, you know, didn't wouldn't be as disastrous, but you know that's stupid yeah. stupidity on my part. But still, these new technology need needs to be you know when we're relying so much things on these new things, they need to. Go through more, more quality control, more to 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 prevent bugs from happening. These kind of bugs, especially. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm sure this happens in lots of creative industries. I would guess too that, like, you know, probably the script for Passion Island got lost in a similar manner. So they just improvised <laughs> the whole film after that, right? And that's why we got what we got. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just kidding. All right, but uh, enough tech talk. This isn't a tech show, although it is uh, sometimes a tech show when we get frustrated with our tech toys. Uh, but we are here to talk about some films. So what films are we going to be talking about this week? Yeah, for eScreen, uh, I'll be talking about the new Bollywood film, uh, English Finglish, um, while uh, the two of us will be talking about Looper for West Screen. All right, excellent. Looper. Looper. I have lots to say about Looper. All of that and a little bit more coming up right after some news. Yeah, Ken says, they smoked the script. 
script. Ted, did you see my <laughs> captures from the movie on uh, from my iPad? I'm not sure, but anyway, yeah, I downloaded the, the mainland channel version of the film on Love TV, so so I got to relive, you know, the classic scene of um of uh, of what's her name, Janice Mann, with the ball between her her legs, and and uh, and, oh, and uh, Chen Chang doing his his hoax. I cannot smash. wait. Day one DVD purchase, and I'm gonna set the date for the commentary for that film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we have some news to get to though this week. Uh, up first. Talking about Tai Chi, Tai Chi Zero, in fact, a film that we uh, reviewed uh, last week. And, you know, Kevin, can I, can I clarify again uh, just the title of this? The English title is Tai Chi Zero, but the Chinese title is Chai, Tai Chi One, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, yes. so th- every time I look at this title, I just get confused because I see English and then I see the Chinese and I'm like, it, it throws me for a loop because we do have technically tai chi one or tai chi two <laughs> coming later this month right the, the second part well, of this the second film is called tai chi hero because the whole thing is zero right. to hero tai chi zero to right to hero okay yes um anyway well there's a bit of news about uh, tai chi zero or the first of uh, stephen fong's tai chi films not doing so well apparently um the article coming from stephen Kremen. From our favorite film site, Film is Asia, dated October 4th. Um, he says, although the official numbers won't be available until next week, statements from film companies and messages on social media indicate disappointing box office, box office takings during the National Day holidays in China. Um, to me, that doesn't really bode well for the film. I mean, if you can't do well during the Golden Week, right, um, you're kind of uh, kind of screwed, aren't you? There's a lot of reason for this, and I can okay, and go go like, like I can go like thirty minutes into this. But um, okay, generally the National Day holidays were very weak at the box office, mainly because um, first of all, during the weekend you have um, and I and I know it sounds trivial, it sounds like nothing, it doesn't matter, but it did. Um, the Voice of China, mm-hmm. the Voice of China is literally the the biggest um variety show on Chinese television right now, which means um, and it takes. It takes a rating percentage like ten percent. Ten percent of Chinese television means a hundred million people. So a hundred million people is watching the show, and they did three consecutive episodes for the finale. So you have three, and and actually um, over the entire summer on Friday nights, um, as the show got progressively popular, um, theaters have actually been recording lower box office on Friday nights, especially during the later episodes. So yes. It has a lot of actually it did it, it, it did um it did put a dent in box office in general uh, over the weekend and then on the first day of the National Day holiday which is October first um, this is something that China the Chinese government has never done they exempted the highway charge all over the country which means everyone I'm talking about like this from Xinhua this this figure is from Xinhua six hundred million people traveled during the National Day holiday. Okay, so October first, uh, I China of of traffic jams on essentially on all the highways leaving the major cities, which means no one's going to the movies. So overall, the the entire the first weekend of National Day holiday was already bad, and then you have um five five films I think. Let me let me let me think about this. Okay, Double Exposure, Looper. Tai Chi, Dangerous Liaison, and Double um, They've got the Assassins listed on here, too. And the Assassins, yes. So five films competing with each other. 
Um, and if if the four four Western movies fighting fighting each other over a space of two weeks was bad enough, imagine five movies um, over a holiday weekend. So essentially, everyone canceled this, each other out, um, along with the with the um, uh, the large waves of people traveling everywhere. So none of the movies became hits, even though actually uh, Tai Chi is leading the pack of a hundred million RMB, which is. 100 million RMB for a domestic film is nothing to scoff at, but considering the two films together cost 210 million RMB, it means that they would have to make 600 total to make a profit. Um, and it's not looking like it will happen right now, especially with more foreign films opening for the second half of the month. So, yeah, it's, it's a, um, so there are a lot of reasons for, uh, and this is something that, that, that Film Biz Asia or Steven unfortunately didn't cover um, because, you know, a lot of it is, is non. Non, nothing to do with the film industry, but it's true that when you read things like this, it is it was a very weak week in general in in China because everyone was you know out and about. Mm. Yeah. So well, you have uh, movies like um, actually Double Exposure uh, clearly easily made made a profit. It's already eighty million RMB, but the movie probably cost half that, so so it did fine. But you have you know big budget things like Tai Chi and The Assassins and Dangerous Liaisons all essentially doing really disappointing numbers because no one really no one really saw all the factors that would affect the box office yeah. that that badly. Now that being said, um, the article does go on to say that uh, the Huayi Brothers Media Corporation does claim that uh, Tai Chi Zero came in first place. It is. Uh, um, it's true. For, for uh, out of all the films, taking in, um, uh, what is that, uh, 860 renminbi? Or, or no, sorry, 60 million renminbi. Uh, yes. Which is U.S. nine point five million, and the other films coming in uh, second looks like Looper. Uh, is that right? No. I can update those numbers. Yeah. Uh, as of Sunday, uh, Tai Chi made one hundred seventeen million. Uh, Looper's at number two with one hundred eight. Double Exposure uh, third with eighty three. The Assassins at um, at ninety, and Dangerous Liaison, which cost two hundred million RMB to make. Make fifty four, mm. yeah. Um, and taken open this past taken two open this past weekend and um, reportedly doing pretty good numbers. Um, in the next couple of weeks, they get total recall, um, born identity, um, and essentially all the all the foreign films essentially have to open before November eighth. So in the second half of October, you're gonna see another big invasion of foreign films. So essentially anything from here. Don't expect anything, uh, any major rise for these films for the next couple of weeks, after the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, that's. A, I think it's an interesting factor when we consider that, uh, you know, the opening of the 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 toll highways for free. Yeah. And it, people it, just saying, we want to get out. Yes, it, it's everyone got a chance to drive. And essentially what I've, I've seen some pictures saying, showing that the train stations are empty or the mm. trains are empty. The high-speed trains are empty because everyone is driving, which kind of tells you the spending power of, of Chinese people. And I guess because they're spending all this money to travel and packing um, um, uh, tourist destinations, they don't have any money left to watch movies. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we'll have to hope, pay attention and see uh, if uh, the sequel, which is coming out in a couple weeks... Uh, can hold similar ground and uh, or or even do better than the the current film is doing. Yep. All right. Uh, another news story. All this one also coming from Film Biz Asia by Patrick Freider, uh, dated Friday, uh, October fifth. It says a film channel reinvents its own legend, and this is talking about uh, 
pay TV channel Star Chinese Movies 2, uh, which typically shows like some of the older films, some of the remastered Shaw films and and those kinds of uh, releases, whereas the regular Star Movies channel uh, shows more current stuff, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So they're saying this is going to be rebranded as SCM Legend as a means to introduce young people to the golden era of Hong Kong cinema from um, the 1970s to the 1980s. Now, I, as, as I read this, two things popped in my mind. One was the Sci-Fi Channel, which did this uh, in the States. They went from Sci-Fi to SIFI, right, to S-Y. FY to try and sort of rebrand the channel image and they still show wrestling and like ghost hunters and stuff and uh, they make regular sci-fi fans mad because they don't seem to follow proper programming for what people consider should be on a sci-fi channel despite having the name Siffy. Um, but so that popped in my head but but the second thing that popped in my mind as I read this is it said they're trying to do this to introduce young people uh, to the golden era of Hong Kong cinema. And I thought, this is a pay channel. Young people aren't interested in subscribing to a pay channel unless you're offering some kind of stre streaming service for them that they're going to be able to get on their mobile device, right? Um, so this really seems like almost a nonsense approach that they're, that, that they're if, the, if that's truly their goal. I mean, you're part of the cusp of the younger generation, Kevin. What do you think? I mean... Does the, does the rebranding appeal to you? I, um, I, I already have the channel, so it doesn't matter to me. To me, especially with a pay channel, what matters is not the brand name, it's not the logo. The, what matters is the content. Yeah. And the content essentially is going to be the same because the, um, this used to be Star Movie Channel 2, and actually all they're doing is just following the, the rebranding of the origin, their, their main channel, which shows new films. So it's just um, keeping things consistent. But content is going to remain the same. So I don't see what the difference is. What's it for? Yeah, I mean, it was the same thing as sci-fi. When they changed their brand name, it, it didn't. They didn't change the content at all. It was just like they were trying to somehow upscale their image as if it's just the logo uh, that's going to somehow do that. So I mean, I really think that if they really wanted to show a big draw of you know young people coming to old old movies, make this a sort of like a netflix kind of a platform you know open it up to streaming and to the internet you know sure maybe you still have to subscribe or or maybe you can you know do some viewing on demand with uh you know uh sort of like renting from the itunes store but but they set it up as their own sort of star channel app or something i think that's going to appeal to young people a lot more than simply saying well it's still a cable channel or, or a broadband channel you still have to pay for it and you, you probably can't pay it month to month. You probably have to sign up for like a year contract or something. Um, the, the problem is young people still aren't going, even if they have the streaming thing available, they're just simply not interested in these movies. There's The only way you can force these kids to watch these movies is they have to take a test on it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, yeah, like even the, the mobile app. For many the, of them, yeah. yeah. We, but I think that if there are some who are marginally interested in it, but they don't want to go out of their way. Right. I mean, that's that's sort of the, the 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 consumption pattern of young kids today. It's like if they've got to go out of their way, they don't want to go to the library. They don't even want to go to a, a defunct blockbuster anymore because that's too much work. Now it needs to come through the device that's on them whenever they're going where they're going. And if it doesn't do that, 
they're truly not going to be interested in it, right? I mean, of course there are exceptions, but th this seems to be the general rule with the consumption of media now. That's why I think yeah. you, you get things like La TV or or PBS and, and these others that are, you know, that are very popular, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Enough of my little mini rant there. Uh, <laughs> talking about new media, we've got another news story also from Film Business Asia. Also from Patrick Freider. This one is from uh, today, in fact. Uh, uh, October 10th, Dragon's, uh, Dragon Nest stirs for all rights. Um, and so this is basically the, 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 the idea that there's a Hong Kong sales company, All Rights Entertainment Limited, that is, um, picking, has picked up uh, Dragon Nest, which is a pretty popular uh, online game, similar to World of Warcraft, but one that's played... Uh, um, you know, internationally as well, not as popular in the States. And they, they put some numbers in here that make me kind of scratch my head and go, what? But um, basically, based on this online game, which I think is based on a uh, also like a Japanese manga of some sort, uh, they're going to try and uh, make this into a CGI animated action comedy adventure. Uh, so based on the computer game. And uh, they, they say a little bit down in this article, it says, with 120 million online players for the game, we know that there is an audience for the film. And this is from uh, Contet des Fontaines, if I've said that name correctly. Uh, or he's the uh, managing director, I guess. Um, the, my question is, you know, World of Warcraft is the biggest thing on the planet. They're still working on a movie for that somewhere in the mix. I think Sam Raimi's the attached director for that project. And I think at their height, they had 15 million subscribers or something like that. Maybe it was a bit more. And uh, I read recent numbers, and they've dropped down to about 9 uh, million paid subscribers. Okay, Because you can get a free, like, temporary account. But that's 9 people who subscribe and pay the monthly fee. So when they put out this number of 120 million online players, I'm like, that's a whole lot of players. I don't know. I tried to see if there is any stats online I could find to, to verify that or not. And I couldn't find anything. Um, and I had never heard of this game before, Dragon's Nest. And I'm kind of up on what, you know, some of the more popular games are out there. And I'm, I'm not saying it's not a popular game, but 120 million online players? Um, I don't know. Unless a lot of people are like, having multiple accounts and farming gold or something. Um, I don't know if it's actually that popular. But that being said, this is another game-to-movie type of production, and it is being picked up here in Hong Kong, so I will be interested to see what happens with it. And uh, hopefully they'll do a good job, because it is sort of like a fantasy-ish style genre, so I'd be interested in seeing that. Ah, you know you know why? I, I just looked this up. Um... I think the 120 million is, is like the story says it's, it's probably worldwide and online games is huge in, in China, of course. And um, they have a, a Hong Kong site, a Taiwan site, and a Europe site. Um, and according to the Wikipedia page, it's a free to play game. Yeah, it is free to play. It follows the, the, you know, the model where you can go on and play for free. But if you really want the good stuff, then you have to buy it in their store. That's sort of the alternative to the monthly subscription model. And a lot of games are now following that model. But you know, the, the idea is like earlier this year they had Star Wars, the, the 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 old Republic game, that was following the Warcraft model. It was pay by month, you know, subscription, and they're turning to a free to play model in November. 
not even having been out for an entire year. And a lot of people thought this was going to be the game because of the Star Wars branding and the movie tie-ins and the background and all that stuff, that this was going to be the game that kind of finally knocks Blizzard off the perch, and which it didn't. And the idea is that when a game goes free-to-play, it's kind of indi indicative of that the game has actually failed to live up to the true MMO model that has uh, <laughs> been established by Warcraft over all these years. Um, that being said, you know, uh, it certainly may have that many, you know, players out there. I just thought that's a really large number of players when you yeah. compare that with the dominant model of Warcraft, which at its peak was like 15 or 16 million subscribers. So, yeah, but it is free to play, and, and that certainly makes a difference. Uh, it, it certainly seems like um, you were talking about Star Wars and how it was sure to, to succeed. It, it seems like it's it's vice versa now, that you have a game that's successful, and um, the, the movie, any movie adaptation would automatically be successful in, in Asia. It seems like it's the other way around now. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it still, you know, quality still matters, you know, and I mean, we just got done talking about like the biohazard or the Resident Evil movie. So, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, you don't, and the movie's been sucking for five movies now, so yeah, that... it's not like quality matters. <laughs> there, there's only a, you know, there, there, there's so much you can do with the narratives in these things, you know, when you go from, cause sometimes the, the narratives in these games, you know, um, expand for far beyond a simple film. I mean, they, when they talked about doing a Warcraft movie, a lot of the people who play Warcraft said, you can't do it, because what, what are you going to do? You've got, before you even had World of Warcraft Online, you had, like, Warcraft 1, Warcraft 2, Warcraft 3, with all these different narratives that built around the entire world. So where are you going to start? What are you going to do? Whatever you choose to do, you're going to make somebody unhappy, because you're not focusing on their favorite story or their favorite characters. Um, you know, so it's a tricky situation and perhaps this will do well. I'm just hopeful that, you know, if it's got a Hong Kong company tied to it, that, uh, they do it well, they do a good job, has some decent animation and tells a decent story and, you know, I'll go see it. I'll, I'll be excited to see it if they can, uh, do it well and not just do it on the cheap. So, yeah. Uh, in the chat room, Gary says, so is anybody going to play Angry Birds Star Wars? Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a try. Um, I like... Angry Birds from time to time, and I like me some Star Wars, so I'll be intrigued to see how they mash that up. Kevin, you an Angry Birds or? Oh, it, I already bought it in my mind. <laughs> I'm just waiting to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I'm just, I want to see all the jokes, right? Like the, the squawk is strong with this one or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. hey, are you playing, uh, are you playing uh, a piggy game? No, I heard about it. I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet so i'm playing it it's, it's okay but yeah i look forward to to new angry birds game a lot more now after mm. piggies all right uh some additional news uh dreamworks to produce uh two films a year eventually is that the uh stated goal you have for us kevin yeah uh, we talked about earlier about the new um studio that and and the, the theme park that dreamworks will be building in near shanghai um and uh looks like they're trying to pick um the first film from a total of seven scripts and they'll actually start production on the um the first film to be produced at the studio um i think in 20 yeah 20 it'll be released in 2017 so we're looking at way 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 far ahead of things uh, i think they will be starting production on kung fu panda maybe in 
a year or two, maybe because they're um, looking at 2016. Um, the studio itself, uh, according to a report from Hollywood Reporter by um, by by George Zalai uh, from Abu Dhabi, where a, a conference is happening, uh, Abu Dhabi Media Summit. Um, the studio itself will get a $350 million investment and hire about 800 people in the coming years. Um, and uh, in five or six years, I guess after they start launching uh, Kung Fu Panda and, and the first um, uh, locally produced film, um, they're hoping to produce two to three movies a year from, from China. So um, it looks like, but it looks like that won't happen until around 2022. So they're looking very, very far ahead. Um, what do you think, Paul? I mean, I think we talked about this before, but now it seems like they really are set on doing this in China. Um, would you watch a, a, a DreamWorks China production or what, what the studio is called, DreamWorks Oriental production? Well, yeah, I, I, for me, it's just going to depend on the content. I mean, um, I know we bash China movies all the time, um, you know, because of the censorship issues and things like that. But I think with, with animation, you know, you can, uh, you don't have to worry about that so much because, you know, you're not going to see um, a lot. I mean, you'll get, you'll get some, some critical context in something like a Kung Fu Panda or um, an Up or, or, you know, even a Toy Story on occasion, but they're not going to push the boundary that much, you know. Um, so I think that there's plenty of room to be creative with, you know, these stories and perhaps that'll give them a bit more flexibility and I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm curious to see if they keep that kind of a pace, if things will burn out for them, because if I remember correctly, there was a point when Disney started to do that, where they went for like a, a two film per year uh, um, release kind of schedule. Um, and I'm thinking it was like towards the end of the nineties, the start of the two thousands and, and their quality started, that started to really decline at that point because it became, you know, a quantity over quality kind of an issue. And so that would be my main concern. Yeah. And I think quantity over quality is a huge issue with, with Chinese cinema in general. I mean, this year, earlier this year, we literally saw a. I literally saw a, a animated film that was produced on Flash, <laughs> a Flash animated feature length. Was that film. was was it that another terrible and another pleasant goat one? These producers who just want to make a quick 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 cra- uh, cash in with a low budget and hoping they could con a couple of kids into a cinema. Yeah. Um. And and that's that's something that I hope DreamWorks Oriental won't won't succumb to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I. I hope that they can keep the quality up um but if, if it starts really looking like it's just going to be a an animation factory that's going to be plugging stuff out to to rake in as much profit as possible then um i think it'll be bad for in the long run for dreamworks because we've seen that we've seen that cycle happen before um, in fact it ha- it's happened a couple times in disney's history not just one time mm-hmm. all right uh last bit of news if this is really news, um, there's a new white paper out there. <laughs> what the heck is a white paper anyway? What the? <laughs> um, Hexagon Concepts, a company founded by a friend of the show, Marco Spomberg, among, amongst others, and uh, Mr. Kevin Ma himself, uh, has released a white paper called The Asian Screen, The State of China and Hong Kong's Film Industry and the Emergence of Transmedia. 
Um, now, I'm not going to give a review of this because I've only read about half of it so far. Uh, I need to work my way through the rest of it. But it's a pretty interesting read. If you are interested in some of the difference between uh, Hong Kong cinema and mainland China, if you thought that those two things were the same, they are not. And if you're wondering what the differences are and how those differences have sort of created some friction and, and also... Uh, a little bit of a brain drain over the years since the handover, you can uh, find out what some of that is about uh, in this white paper. Uh, it also goes into, and this is the part that I'm just now getting to, it goes into some of the uses of transmedia uh, regarding uh, Asian film, particularly in China now, not so much in Hong Kong. Um, as, as I start to understand it from this paper, Hong Kong has been fairly reluctant to get on board with the transmedia um, the, the transmedia type of um, aspect for promotion, I guess, is the best way to say it. And if you're not sure what transmedia is, well, it takes quite a few different forms, but uh, you can consider a lot of the extracurricular uh, media that now gets put out, um, whether, you know, regardless of whether you're talking about a film or a video game or a television series, usually there's a lot of extracurricular narrative pathways and uh, flows that occur that help not only just market uh, the media itself, but help expand the story somehow. And so it creates a richer experience of the overall medium when it does uh, transmedia quite successfully. Do, do I have the gist of that correct, Kevin? Pretty much. I mean, the biggest transmedia campaign in the entertainment world is clearly Star Wars. From the games to the fan fiction to the films themselves, it is one huge universe that has been built in the last, what, three, four decades? Yeah, I think. Yeah. From that to something as simple as, say, um, the, the character in the newsroom uh, having an, a Will McAvoy's Twitter, which is not official, but in a way it is someone else creating, expanding the universe on their own because they're a fan of the show. Mm. So yes, you have multiple ways of actually expanding a universe and it's quite interesting to see that despite Hong Kong people's perception about China, mainland China being, you know, their taste being 20 years behind and things like that, China is actually ahead of Hong Kong in terms of using transmedia to promote things. Hmm. Um, and and um, essentially the, the report, which is mostly written by myself, the, uh, the mission that I was given was to was to show, um, essentially it's written for any potential um, investors or entertainment uh, content producer who wants to enter China or wants to use Hong Kong to enter China. And essentially the point is that Hong Kong is not the gateway to China. It's two very different cultures. Um, but but I do offer essentially here, okay, here is what is in Hong Kong. Here's ways you can get in. Here's what's happening in China right now. And here's ways you can, you can get in. Um, so anyone interested in, in that or anyone who wants to know about what transmedia is, or how they're being used in China, or how they're not being used in Hong Kong. Um, anyone who wants to capitalize on that 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 gap, or anyone who wants to join in on things happening in China, I, I think it's. Um, I hope that it's a fascinating read for those people. Hmm. Yeah, and of course now, as a white paper, I mean, uh, it's going to cost you something. It's not free. You're going to have to like it on Facebook, or you're going to have to send out a tweet, and then you can get access to it. So yes, it is a, a very not. It's a small price to pay for a sixty-eight hundred word <laughs> report. 
Yes, in, indeed, it is a small price. But, you know, some people, they just don't want to press that like button or they don't want to, uh, you know, send a, a retweet of something. But uh, again, I'm, I'm joking, but do check it out because it does have some very interesting information in there, even for somebody who, you know, has been following cinema uh, such as myself for a number of years now. So recommended, and uh, you'll find the link over in the show notes, or uh, you can just head over to um, Hexagon dot posterius dot com and I think you'll find links over there. Uh, and the hexagon is H uh, A E or yeah H A E X A G O N. Okay, so slightly special spelling of hexagon. Uh, all right, uh, let us move on and finally get to some films, shall we? Ah. That's the wrong bumper. I apologize. <laughs> Should be this one. All right. For our East Screen film this week, we go back to Bollywood to talk about the film English Vinglish. So, Kevin, where and when did you see this film? Please tell us about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, English Vinglish is a directorial debut of Gary Shinde. Um, Again, I'm not getting anything these name right, so uh, I apologize in advance to, you know, anyone who speaks Hindi. Um, anyway, it's a director debut. She's a long time, I think, an ad executive. Um, but it's a very worthy film to catch for because uh, to catch because this marks the the return of um an actress named Sir Devi. Uh, if you don't know her, like I didn't before I watched this movie, essentially she is one of the most acclaimed actresses in Bollywood history. Um, she went into retirement in the late 1990s and had hasn't done a film for over a decade. So this is um, a huge comeback um, for this for this really great actress, and you can tell how great she is by this movie. Anyway, um, uh, Sir Devi stars uh, as Shashi, a middle-aged, uh, very conservative Indian housewife. Um, who has a, a businessman husband, two kids, lives in a nice house, um, but but she also runs a side business, making this Indian snack called ladu, which kind of looks like a, I guess it looks like a, a mango dumpling kind of thing. Um, but as a side business, she delivers on her own, and 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 they're very well liked, and apparently they're the best ladus in the world, um, and it keeps her occupied because. Um, but even though even though it becomes kind of a subject of mocking, you know, by her. Um, her, her businessman husband and her and her kids who all speak English and she's the only person in in the family who didn't speak English. Um, when her sister's uh, daughter uh, is engaged, uh, who lives and they live in uh, New York, she has to fly by herself to New York to to help prepare the wedding. But this is going to be proof trouble for her because she doesn't speak a, a word of English, or, well, very little English because I guess all Indian people know a few words of English, but but um. Only the very rich or the very modern um, and the young people, they all would know, you know, fluent English, but she doesn't. So after a few trouble, after a few, um, you know, mocking from the family and running into trouble in New York, she um, decides to join a uh, uh, intensive uh, English course in New York that would actually help her learn English in four weeks, uh, which is a little far-fetched, but I'll talk about it a little later. Um of course, like all commercial films, she, she's in this, you know, eccentric group of students, uh, which includes a Pakistani cab driver, a, um, a Tamil-speaking uh, engineer, a Chinese um, 
uh, a stylist uh, and uh, and a very handsome uh, uh, chef from France. Um, and of course, they they become this you know big family, and they and they and Shashi and learn, works very hard to learn English and blah blah blah. And that's essentially the the the, the, the gist of English, of English. Um, I am someone who had to learn English. Uh, I started at the age of nine when I moved to America, and I didn't pick it up naturally. So, so this concept is totally relatable to me as someone who had to learn English. Um, and knowing that the concept of a woman learning English in four weeks is kind of far-fetched. It's pretty out there. Um, but the script is really excellent. It, it really takes its time to set up Shashi, uh, the character, her motivation, and her and situation. She doesn't even step into the English school until 45 minutes into the movie. Uh, and the movie runs up a little over two hours. So so it really does take its time to to tell you why she needs to learn, why she has to learn, and why she wants to learn so badly. Um, and it all works. And it's a very smart commercial commercial film. It's a very, very, very commercial crowd pleaser. I was watching it with, with of course, the local Indian audience. Uh, it was a full house. And they were into it every step of the way. Whenever Sha- When Shashi finally breaks into English, you literally hear people, you know, sniffling and and really truly impressed even actually through Devi probably speaks fluent English uh, but when she finally does it in the film it was like a really really pleasing moment to the audience who half of which applauded when she spoke that that line of English um but it is a very commercial film so you have um very exaggerated portrayals of other ethnicity like um the the the, the Latino who is actually a nanny um, and then you have the Chinese woman and, of course, the Pakistani driver. Um, very much, you know, about ethnic stereotypes, but it's all done in good fun. It's all very kind. There's nothing, there's no real mean portrayal of anyone, except for one case, a African-American um, um, uh, cafe waitress. But, of course, she's supposed to be mean, and the film does make it a point that she's just a mean person, not because she's American or not because she's African-American. So it is very careful about doing stereotypes um the film has a lot of charm it's very funny often very very funny film um i think the the cat no the engineer character is named selman khan so that's that's actually one of the jo- jokes in the film that you kind of need to know bollywood to get um but it's also very touching um because it's very smart in making a very simple english speech essentially the climax of the film you wait two hours and when she finally does it um, again, it's it's a very very climactic moment, and it's very pleasing, and and you're very you're very into it. So you're also pleased when she finally makes that speech, um, and it's super effective. Um, Sri Devi, who 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 um, which some who some has called the Meryl Streep of Bollywood. Um, like I said, she hasn't acted in over a decade, but you won't be able to tell here. She was fantastic. Um, she's so good, and and um, that you know there. There's a romance subplot kind of in the film uh, between the French chef and 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 Shashi, and because she's so good in the film, you absolutely believe that the Frenchman will fall in love with her. Um, it is a very great performance. It is, I think, her performance alone is worth catching this film. Um, it's a genuinely feel-good film about you know the little obstacles in life, um, and you really come out feeling positive, and and um, it, it's just a really nice film it's a nice little film and uh certainly worth a watch uh so yeah definitely definitely see it hmm. so is this a musical no actually there isn't um there is one there are a couple of musical montages um there's only one kind of a musical scene which is in the the uh, preparation of the wedding 
Um, so there's a short dance scene, and there's also a, a, a MTV-ish So it's a bit more like uh, My Name is Khan. What's that? It's a bit more like My Name is Khan, and that's not like a true uh, Bollywood-style, you know, with lots of different musical numbers where the actors themselves are singing. Yeah, yeah there is one scene that kind of is like that. Um, but nothing, nothing that takes you out of story, nothing like a traditional Bollywood film per se. Um, but it, it does pick up the best Bollywood tradition, which is in commercial filmmaking, which is knowing how to carry an audience through the emotional rhythms hmm. of the film. And it's excellent at that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's still a very good. It's not even a, and it's very good. It has a lot of potential to travel with seas because it's not like a traditional Bollywood film where you have to get into the whole dance and music thing where you, just, you can just um, uh, watch it for the story. And, and despite the story itself, it's still very good. Hmm. It reminds me a little bit. There was a TV show, I want to say from the 1970s in, uh, in Britain, uh, the UK, called Mind Your Language which was, you know, it was about like a community or, uh, you know, evening class kind of a community center where uh, the main teacher was a British guy and he had a whole class of like people from different uh, ethnic backgrounds that he was teaching English to. So it was a lot of plays on language and and things like that. And uh, as I remember in that series, like one, one of the, one of the, the, the students was a, an older Pakistani gentleman, the other was an older Indian gentleman, and they were always kind of arguing, you know, because of the tensions between the two countries. But um, it, it remained a little bit playful. You mentioned that there's a speech, too. Um, I'm wondering, the last film that I remember that kind of built up to a speech was uh, Larry Crown. And I remember I was kind of disappointed by Larry Crown's speech. It wasn't a bad speech, but it was like, I don't know. I was expecting to have my socks knocked off by that speech, and it it, uh, it wasn't it wasn't you know the the best oration. Although I th- I still think Tom Hanks was good, and I still enjoyed the film. Um, but well, you... no, the speech here because it's about whether she can. It's not about the content of the speech itself, even though the content of the speech actually is touches on on the um is very much a the emotional climax of the film. It's also about whether she can deliver the speech. It's also about whether how people respond when they find her see her because she she and in the film she keeps the lessons a secret hmm. she, she didn't want people she doesn't want people to know and actually her keeping the lessons a secret is a big part of the is partly the comedy of the film um and 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 it's part of the conflict and so so just it's very like i said it's very clever that the fact that it doesn't have to be a particularly great speech it the fact is the whole thing hinges on whether she can do it or not, and that's um, that actually gives gives the credit. Uh, that actually gives the the writers a bit of a break. All right, uh, sounds good. Uh, I think I'll like seeing it. I need to try and get out and uh, catch it and when it's I can. Showing on Friday night. This is another showing Friday night. So you know. All right. Well, Friday is not going to work for me, unfortunately, because uh, we've got a movie tomorrow night. I only get one movie night. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I do want to throw a promote kind of a plug for a website called uh, run by the um, operated by Euros E R O S, which is one of the bigger um, uh, Indian film studios, uh, Bollywood studios, and is the producer of this film. They have a new streaming service called Euros Now, um, where they put their, their library on the internet with English subs uh, available global, globally, um, and subscription fee is only six ninety nine US dollars a month. 
Oh wow! So that's, that's actually cheaper that's than one right ticket at the China camp to watch an Indian film here. That's... And English for English will be one of the films that will be on that service. And you said it's Eros dot com E R O S Eros now Eros now Eros now. I'm gonna have to. Let yes. me... Sorry, let me write that down. I'll type it out on the. Uh... Yeah, throw it in the show notes for me. On the chat room, let me let me confirm that it's really Eros now. But I've subscribed to a service and. Uh, what do, yeah, they, what do they take for payment? Is it like PayPal or credit card? They also have an uh, iPad app. Do they, what do they take for, for... You say it's an iPad app too? They also have an iPad app, yes. So you can watch movies by the iPad app or on their website. But uh, how does that work for the payment? Do you make payment through the app or do you still have to have make them sign up uh, outside of the app? You sign up um, via the site, I think, on the credit card and they, they auto-deduct they auto each month. Oh, okay. Yep. Interesting. So uh, there it is on the chat room. Usnow.com. Um, it's totally legal. And in Hong, I checked here in Hong Kong um, that many of the films are available. Great. That's that's perfect for me. It's something I'm going to definitely look up. All right. Uh, let us move on and talk about our West Screen film for this week after this. East Screen, West Screen. All right, we have one West Screen film this week, and that is finally talking about the science fiction film Looper. Uh, this film stars Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis in the key roles. Um, it basically tells the story of a young hitman named Joe who is in charge of... Uh, his title is basically a looper, and what a looper does is uh, they go out into some remote area... And at this location, at a predetermined time and place, uh, someone is sent back in time. And uh, once the, the moment they arrive, the looper uh, shoots them with a blunderbuss and, and basically ends their life. And so the premise of this film is that uh, in, in the very near future, uh, nearly, you know, in, in, within the next 30 years, time travel gets invented. And it's immediately banned and outlawed because of, I guess, the potential problems that can occur with it. Um, except that the criminal organization, the underworld, still manages to be able to control it somehow. And so they use it to disappear people, right? Uh, they end up using it to send people uh, back in time. And once they dump you there, uh, the, the looper assassin kills you and then the body is uh, destroyed. And the reason this is done is because in this future time period when they have time travel, they also have, you know, super CSI technology, I guess, as they, you know, forensic technology to where they can, if somebody's killed, they can, you know, really figure out who did what, when, where, why, and how. Um, so it's, you know, CSI to the max, basically. So because of that, they find it easier and I guess more cost-effective to dump people in the past and execute them there. And so Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his cohorts, um, you know, decide that this is the life for them, and uh, they make pretty good living at it. The one caveat is that uh, they get to, they get to, uh, they have, they they usually end up having to kill themselves. Um, and so in the future, uh, in order to keep things becoming messy. Uh, at a certain point, uh, your future self gets captured by the crime bosses and sent back, and you end up having to execute yourself. And this is called what they call closing the loop in the film. 
And so that sort of sets the premise uh, of the film, because uh, at a certain point, young Joe uh, encounters his older self, old Joe, except a mishap happens. Uh, old Joe is played by Bruce Willis. A mishap happens, and uh, old Joe ends up escaping, and he goes on the run. And so then it sort of goes into the hows and whys, and it, the film does a nice job of portraying the perspectives, I think, of both young Joe and old Joe, um, young Joe is then a wanted man by the crime family, uh, the head of which is played by, in, in a nice cameo by, uh, Jeff Daniels. And, uh, he ends up being on the run too, because he's let his future self escape and that becomes problematic. Um, and so it sets up for a while, there's sort of a chase sequence, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of action within the first hour and, you know, you've got the time travel and this is a future period. So it's kind of weird because it's a future Earth, you know, I guess about half a half a half a century in. And at the same time, though, you've still got a lot of people living in poverty. And, you know, it's instead of the 99% now, it's like more like the 99.9%. Everybody's poor, except a, a very small group of people. And the people who are poor are really dirt poor. Um, so there's some nice dichotomies between uh, the technology that's shown, and so, so you know, like there, a lot of people have cars, but they're like old junker cars that have all this weird tubing on them because uh, it's supposed they're supposed to be like more fuel efficient, but they look like these hybrid uh, mishmash things. That so I thought there's some interesting art direction uh, going on in the film. It, it is an interesting concept. It's got excellent casting, and Bruce Willis, man, he still brings it. I mean. Uh, he does some butt kicking in this film for as old as he is, and I was just pleased to see him uh, doing what he does. And uh, you know, and I'm I'm still pleased that he does agree to do sci-fi. Still, even at, at you know this age and with the star power that he has behind his name, you know, he still agrees to do a film like this. Or you know, what was the last one he did? Uh, Surrogates, which you know wasn't great, but you know he still he still takes a chance with some of this stuff, and I, I appreciate that he does that. Um, so this film was um, um, this film was uh, <clears throat> directed of Rian, Rian Johnson, who has worked on a couple other films. Uh, this is his third film, I believe. He's done Brick, which was also with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He did The Brothers Bloom with um, uh, Mark Ruffalo, right? From uh, yeah, and Adrian Brody. Yeah, and Adrian Brody. So you know, there's a little bit of a you know two degrees of geek connection, right? So you've got. Uh, Robin. DGO also has, has a has a has a cameo in Brothers Bloom actually. Who? Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt also oh, has a cameo in Brothers. So Bloom. yeah, so you've got you've got uh, you've got a Robin from uh, Batman, right? And you've got the Hulk. So it's kind of like the ultimate DC Marvel crossover. He'd be the perfect director to bring Ooh. these two guys together. <laughs> oh, that was painful. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So and I'm I'm I'm, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jeff Daniels was was good to see here. Except I you know. He's no Will McAvoy here. Uh, he, he was okay as kind of the, the heavy in the role he had, but uh, he's ruined for me now uh, ever since Newsroom. He, uh, I will constantly be wanting him to say things in the voice of Will McAvoy uh, from here on out. Um, to be honest, the film kind of gets you in the mindset of trying to follow young Joe, but I've got to be honest, I was rooting for old Joe throughout most of the film. Um, and that's because, because of the time travel 
events that happen and there's a divergence that starts to happen between the character and the way they handle that I think is kind of interesting um, but ultimately uh, it things get problematic by the end as I said there's some great action but the th film slows down in the second hour for a while um, when young Joe is kind of on the run and it gets a little bit talky in places so the the the, the speed of the film seemed to really change pace for me. Um, it was it was still entertaining. It was just... It, it, it seemed to suddenly kind of grind down, and, and I kept wanting things to pick back up. Um, there is a, another story that they sort of get into telling that's very relevant and kind of goes in a direction that I wasn't expecting that I don't really want to reveal here because I think it'd be giving away too much. It'd get into spoiler territory. Um, but they really do kind of change the pace to tell part of that story. And then right at the end, it starts to pick back up again. Um, but the main problem I have is that even I, I love sci-fi, except when it comes to time travel, um, unless it's something super cheesy like Doctor Who, which doesn't even bother. Um, but even Doctor Who tends to be stick to its own rules for the most part. My problem here is that this is a time travel movie and it's subject to the flaws of time travel movies. Now, some films deal with those flaws in a creative manner. I still think that the Back to the Future series probably has done one of the best jobs of dealing with this. But um, by the end, this film goes against its own logic. Um, it, it very specifically states in the beginning that they, can't, they don't want to do something to certain characters because of the, ramific the very serious ramifications that it ends up having. But at the end of the movie, that very thing, which they've set up as a premise in the film, ends up happening. And, and it's an obvious thing. And I kept saying, well, you know, you, you could kind of do this to get around it. And, but they end up doing that. And, but then they don't deal with those very serious ramifications that they mentioned. It's just like, okay, that was the solution. That's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to get into the spoiler territory of the film. But because it did that, because it went against its own logic, it suddenly kind of got a little bit lame for me, just, just because of that. Still a very good film. I still say this is a must-see if you love sci-fi, uh, which I do. But if you're not somebody who likes to wrap their head around time travel, um, you might want to wait and TV this. And, and I say that with, you know, a, a serious reservation, because I do love sci-fi, and I really think people will enjoy the performances here. Um, I liked pretty much everybody involved. Um, so I, I, it is really, really a see it. But if you're somebody who does have a problem with, with time travel, if time travel irritates you, um, then you might just want to wait a little bit and see, and see this on, when it comes out on video. Uh, Kevin, you yes. saw it multiple times. so Twice. And actually, we can talk a little bit... Um... Uh, in a little bit about that uh, because I, I saw the China version and the, the the version that everyone else saw outside so I can talk a little bit about the comparison there uh, but first of all yes Bruce Willis when he was ha when he had the two machine guns in his hand at a moment I was like this is it yeah this is this is this is this is it you know what I mean it's it's like okay this movie's awesome that's it. Um, but anyway uh, I'm a big fan of Rian Johnson uh, Rian Johnson actually uh, Brick the the high school high school set uh, film noir detective story uh, Brothers Bloom the 
Wes Anderson like uh, con con movie. Um, I enjoyed those actually both very much. Um, but they're both very stylish films that, unfortunately, the 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 content themselves didn't match up to the style. Uh, here he finally balanced the style and story very well. I think um, it still has plenty of um, personal style. Uh, it has that directorial flair that I keep, I've been talking about the last couple of shows. That flair, that that kind of you know. Uh, engagement for you know real film techniques has that here and and it balances story here very well um joseph gordon levitt once again does a noir thing and i thought he was very good um even with the makeup uh his his makeup was he he, he, he had makeup on to to look more like bruce willis well, and, um, and and let me just it, say it, I, I don't mean to interrupt you but yeah. joseph gordon levitt i mean how far has he come from third rock from the sun I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if any of you out there have seen that show, but that was, what was that, 1990s, that show, and he was kind of like a teenager at the time. Very skinny, uh, long hair, kind of like a, um, a, almost like a wimpyish kind of character. And, you know, he's just made, had this total transformation as an adult actor that I think, you know, he's able to carry himself as a romantic lead in like 500 Days of Summer as you know opposite of people like um christian bale and now you know opposite of bruce willis you know as a leading action star here i you know he, he continues to really surprise me and knock my socks off he's certainly become more of a toby mcguire than a macaulay culkin yes <laughs> yes and and what do you think about the makeup actually the bruce willis makeup on on joseph Gordon levin um are you talking about like the or... scenes where they were together and the they were like sitting at the table looking at each other yeah um i did he have makeup on <laughs> yeah he went for 3 hours of makeup a day to look more I, like bruce willis you know i was looking at that and i was going is it that they really look alike or do they have some prosthetics on him i really couldn't tell because you know maybe that's a credit to the uh, makeup artists um but yeah there's there's a couple scenes where like they're sitting at a table and there's like a profile shot and they kind of have the same ridge line on their nose and things. And I'm thinking, wow, that's that's really really good. I wonder how they did that. So they used prosthetics. Is that yeah. What you're, yeah, interesting. Yeah, three hours of makeup a day for JGL. Um, but yeah, it, it's yeah, like you said, the makeup is strong, very nice little detail. Um, Bruce Willis is good, but he's actually better in the China Cut because he has um, more scenes in the China Cut. I thought he was. A little lacking in the second half of the film. He was it was became more of a Joseph Gordon Levitt movie than a Bruce Willis movie, and I thought it wasn't quite balanced. And I thought Bruce Willis could have been had more emphasis for us to feel for him, and he did get that yeah. in the China Cut. Yeah. Um, so he's actually stronger in the China Cut than than in the version everyone else sees. Um, the more the more issue that to deal with in the film is is actually very compelling, and I and actually it intrigues audiences because I know because my neighbor when I was watching in Shenzhen kept talking about it when we were watching yeah it, it you know they 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 were very they were very um at least my neighbor um who I didn't know uh talk who talked from beginning to end uh he was he he actually discussed with his child while they were watching the film about these demoral issues um which is great but. I thought it could have waited after the film yeah. until after the film. You know, an another anyway. pro another little bit of a logic plot hole too. You know, is they 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 set up this whole idea of the, uh, you know, of the need for loopers because, as I said, in the future everything's you know supposedly so big brotherish and and CSI crazy. But that didn't stop the events from happening 
at Bruce Willis, older Bruce, you know, older Joe, Bruce Willis's house, you know, that went down. If something like that can go down and not be a problem, then it kind of defeats the purpose of them needing loopers in the first place, though, right? Well, apparently it's something, I guess, about the law enforcement agency can't take on the Rainmaker because he is so, so powerful. Maybe, yeah. That could be it. Um, but, you know, the whole more issue with the two, the two, um, uh, I didn't want to go in, I don't want to go into, to, to spoiler, but yeah, the two intentions, the two, um, um, yeah, intentions are very, it's very compelling, actually, it's quite compelling. Yeah, that, um, and, but and, and, the diner scene for me, um, there are a lot of great scenes in the film, but the diner scene for me and is let me, the let reason me ask why this, you should watch this I wasn't movie. aware there was a, that Bruce Willis was cut out of the Hong Kong version that significantly. It makes me very interested to see it on, uh, on DVD or Blu-ray now. Oh, um, not significantly. Just just one or two extra scenes. But but does those that one or two does that scenes are essentially does the, that make you because the the cut that I saw it seemed like they were intentionally trying to um, make the Bruce Willis character Joe less sympathetic than the um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt character Joe, and I'm wondering if the scenes that you saw lended any more sense of sympathy to that character. Yes, actually, yes, because the extra scene I'm talking about actually is the extra, it's a, it's an extra flashback. Hmm. Um, it's, it's essentially Bruce looking at the gun, and then the film uh, flashes back to a scene of him and his wife in hmm. the future, the yeah. Chinese actress, uh, played by Summer Cheng. Um, again, we'll talk about the, the details a little bit later, but yeah, that extra scene actually adds more to 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 his his side of the character. That's that's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, like I was saying, the, the, there are a lot of good scenes in the film, a lot of great scenes in the film, but the one that you that that you should really watch this movie for is that diner scene where the old Joe and the young Joe finally meet and, and they're really literally going at each other. There's no, there's no partnership here. There's no buddy movie here. They really are going at each other, and it's a really wonderful scene. Um, uh, Reen Johnson said that actually the film, the scene is supposed to be twice as long, and and uh, I really look forward to seeing the complete version of it on on some you know on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, the first forty minutes, first hour, I think is great. Uh, keeps really keeps you on the edge of your seats, uh, of your seat. Um, but even when the story slows down, the second half, you still you're still you still want to know where the story is going. You're still interested in seeing where the story is going. And even though it's 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 slow, the, the the switch in tones is kind of abrupt at the beginning. When you go along with it, you start you start picking, you start knowing where it's going. I think it gets better that part of the film. And of course, it's a very intentional decision. It's a it's something that Rian Johnson knows very well that it's happening. But I think I think as that section progresses, you do kind of get more intrigued. You do want to know what's happening when you see what's happening. I think it gets better. Um, and I like that it doesn't trap itself with the time traveling explanation. You know, the dynasty where Bruce Willis said, "Don't start talking to me about time travel, because my head will blow up." It's just not talk about time travel because you no, know, it doesn't want to bog itself down with that, with the complications. Yeah, of it. they do do that, but unfortunately, they do end up skewering their own logic because they do set up a couple. They, they they make reference to a couple rules and then they break those rules and and if if you if you think about it, it doesn't make sense, unfortunately. <laughs> there is, is at least, yeah, there are at least two major loopholes. There's a loophole where why, one, one, some people ask, why do loopers have to kill themselves to close the loop? 
why don't just kill the other, you know, why don't loopers kill the other looper to close the loop? That's, I think that hasn't been answered, but there is another loophole that I thought about. Um, and, and it does, it does soft itself in a way, but it takes a lot of side speculation that are not in the film that you just have to kind of think about it yourself and, and connect the pieces that are not even suggested in the film, but you have to kind of, uh, just, just assume it in order to, to get, to get around it or in order to solve it, I think. Um, and I'm not sure if that's really the best for the film, but, you know, at least it, it raises a lot of, you know, discussion about its own logic and, um, whether it's a loophole or not, I think Rian Johnson knows that by now, whether they're loophole or whether intentional, whether they're not, um, uh, 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 whether he he, inte- he, well, the, he intended on not telling people or not. But there's a massive um, loophole. We can do a spoiler section and discuss it in just a moment. Sure, sure, okay. Um, anyway, okay, now we're going to the China Cut. China Cut, um, I saw the, chi- uh, the, the, the cut in mainland China. It runs about eight line minutes shorter. Um, it has uh, takes out all the, all, the, all the nudity, of course. Uh, it took out all the scenes of drug use. So essentially, all the needle shots and all the stuff with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levin dripping things into his eye, which is essentially shooting up, all gone. But very interestingly, the the shots of both Bruce and Joseph Gordon-Levin going through withdrawal is still in the film. So people around me were very confused about why they were getting sick. They were like, oh, he's sick. Or, oh, wow, he's exhausted. Or, oh, wow, he's really hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, drugs, drugs. But uh, yeah, um... But mainly the 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 also a major difference is uh, more China scenes because the film is a Chinese U.S. co-production um, and the China cut they put in more of the China scenes because they want to secure a co-production status. Uh, they were not successful, um, but the China scenes um, the China cut has um, a longer flashback uh, flash forward I guess because the film does go through a flash forward showing. Uh, what would happen to Joe's life if he had done what he was supposed to do and showing how it becomes the Bruce Willis character. Some shots of that from the international version is cut, but we do get more shots during that section, including uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Go with an old man hitting on girls in Shanghai. Um, We get more shots of Bruce Willis talking to his wife. His wife actually has lines in that version. Hmm. Um, Was that... No, that, that's interesting because she didn't have any lines in the version I saw. It was yes, all- yes. So, so, so she has that flashback scene. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, product placements. One of the shots in Shanghai actually has product placements. And um, actually, in the international version, we will see the cap in that sequence. We will see the caption: "What year they're in, or how many years is gone." Mm. But that doesn't. That's not in the China cut. Interesting. It's just a montage and, of things happening. You know, um, uh, there's uh, also Bruce Willis speaking Mandarin. Yes. At one point, he says, wait a knee. Yeah. I'll do anything. And he's got a... Doesn't he have, like, a tiger... The character for tiger on his neck or something as a tattoo? I think so. But I think that, you know, that's not... That was never even um, uh, explained in the film. Uh, most most interestingly, actually, at least two scenes had dialogue cut out mm. for no reason. Um, one scene is when, when um, Jeff Daniels is talking to Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, for the first time to film, trying to get him to, to give out his friend part of that dialogue is missing part of the exchange is missing and it's not the part that you would think about the reference to china is still in that scene but part of that is, is because i remember one of my one of my more memorable lines in that film actually or in the film is in that in that scene that was cut out and the other one is um an interrogation scene in the farm section there hmm. I, I don't know if i can 
and, and get more into spoiler territory. But yeah, some of the dialogues we cut for no reason. I don't think there were any anything anything offensive in there. It was just not there. Yeah, one of, one of the interesting things too from the film was it alludes to a very dominant China, right? Um, as I recall from one scene, um, the loopers get paid in silver, right? But the the currency of the day seems to be renminbi. Uh, renminbi, or I don't know if it, it it looked more like a future printing of ren, renminbi rather than what the current bills look like. But it is kind of highlighting that you know the the U.S. dollar is is a uh, is no longer around. So uh, that part was interesting. And then yeah, you there there is a. There are parts that, you know, they talk about going to Shanghai and parts that uh, look like they are supposed to be taking place. I don't know if they're actually filmed in China, but taking place in China. Um, yes, they did film in China. They filmed uh, in Shanghai. And um, according to the Rian Johnson commentary, and there is actually Rian Johnson already recorded a commentary. Hmm. You can download it on the online and you can watch it, uh, listen to it on your iPod next time you go to the movie or next time you go to watch the movie a second time. Um, he explains that the, they had a plan to shoot in France. Uh, they didn't have the money. Um, DMG, the company, the production company in China, um, offered them a chance, and um, I guess they took advantage of the the current situation and took advantage of the money and mm. went for it. I, I wonder if that has anything to do with the dialogue between um, uh, between Young Joe and uh, and uh, what's his name. Will McAvoy, the Jeff, the Jeff Daniels yeah. character. No, but actually, I thought that was a great the way they worked it in because it is very much the, the zeitgeist. Yeah, you know, um, you know, China is very much uh, rising in the world, and and um, I love that line. Actually, I love it. I'm from future. Go to China, yeah. <laughs> it, and it's true. It's true. it's not propaganda. It's it's just reflecting economic reality, and it's not. It doesn't seem unlikely that yes, China will be the place to be in a couple of decades. All right. So your final they, verdict for the film is uh, yes. skip it, right? Uh, <laughs> the film is a great big screen experience. I've seen it twice on the big screen now, and I can't imagine watching it anywhere else. Um, very exciting film. I'm not even big of a I'm not even a big sci-fi fan. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, of course, there are problems, so it's not really the perfect film, but I think it's very much worth seeing. Yeah. So yeah, and definitely check out the the, the Rian Johnson commentary when you have a chance. Uh, it he would record a different one for the video release apparently. Mm. So. Um, take a chance and listen to it. Uh, I put a link on the notes, Paul, so you can uh, put a link up on the uh, show page. Sure, bit. I will do. Uh, hopefully it won't take me a week to get it up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, shall we uh, do a little bit of a spoiler? Uh, some spoiler time? Do I even have a uh, spoiler alert? Here it is. All right. All right, so we are going to spoil some of Looper, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, we will urge you to uh, stop the live stream now if you're listening live, and if you're listening in podcast form, you might want to, you know, jump ahead uh, a little bit or wait and come back, because uh, this is our final movie review for this episode. Uh, wait and come back after you've seen the film, okay? All right, so at the end of the film is the big standoff between the characters um, and it, it turns out that the little boy is the rainmaker and he's got these telekinetic powers and he's going to be the big bad in the future. And so old Joe is, you know, drawing a bead on him and trying to take him down because he's responsible for, 
you know, killing old Joe's wife, uh, who was a Chinese actress. Um, what was her name? Summer, uh, Summer Ching. Is that right? Yeah. Summer Ching. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or Ching Shu as she's listed on uh, Wikipedia. Um, so he's trying to get back, you know, to ensure that young Joe will have that life and that he'll somehow be able to save her. Right. So, um, now they, they've already set up this, this is my main problem. They've already set up this rule. You know, the reason why when one of the marks escapes, um, one of the things they do, like uh, one, one, of the, one of the other loopers, um, his, he lets himself go, his future self. So they get the young guy and then they start torturing him, mafia style, right? They start cutting off body parts. And, and, and immediately there's a ripple effect. So the old guy... You know, the old assassin who's run away starts seeing parts of his body just disappear, right? Mm -hmm. And yet they, they specifically state, we cannot kill the young looper because it'll cause too much problems, right? It'll totally mess up time is basically what they're saying. So they end up having to keep, you know, they cut all these body parts off. They basically draw and quarter him slowly and they keep him alive on life support so that the future can still go through without a massive butterfly or ripple effect, right? Yeah. That simply cutting off a couple fingers and then ultimately an arm and a leg won't damage time all that much. That's the rule. That's the premise that they set up. But so by the end, they totally throw that out the window, right? Because Bruce Willis is in the standoff and it, it, it's up to young Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, to stop him. And so he comes to the realization, okay, I'm going to kill myself. Boom. He does it, and old Joe instantly disappears. Except now we've got the paradox. Because if young Joseph Gordon-Levitt killed himself in that field, old Joe would have never existed to come back in time and cause all the problems that he did. So, you know, the, the two characters left standing in the field, the mom and, and the son, wouldn't even be there. And all that devastation you saw in the field wouldn't have happened, right? So there's the paradox problem that they totally mess up when they go against their own logic. What I was thinking they were going to do is young Joe was going to like maybe shoot his hand off or something so that old Joe couldn't use the gun. And they were going to follow through on that same mentality that had been established earlier. But they didn't. They totally just said, nope, screw it, paradox time. And that for me, you know, kind of diminished, diminished the film, uh, at least from the standpoint of the the sci-fi that they were running still a well, great the film. problem is that when the minute that that bruce willis did ran away didn't that already create a new timeline because the original timeline is that joe went through killing himself he ran through that life in china becomes bruce willis it, yes but then bruce willis it did, did create another it timeline. did but it was fuzzy right and that's what he kept saying his memories were now fuzzy because he, that's what they were fighting about. Old Joe was fighting to push young Joe on a path that would get him back to China to meet his wife so he could still have that life somehow. And so by the end, his only thought is that if he takes out the Rainmaker, at least he will have saved his wife. Even yes. if, even if the, ultimately, you know, the, the path gets so far off that he doesn't actually meet her as young Joe, he will have saved her. Right. But by young Joe ending up killing himself, it totally just messes up everything that's happened up to that point. 
making it that none of that would have happened. You see what I'm saying? That's yeah. So that, that's the point. It creates an uncertain future. Right. It creates an uncertain future, but it also it, it everything that we would have seen up to that point should have jumped back, right? It should have been undone because it wouldn't have been done. <laughs> no, everything up to that point in Young Joe's life has happened. It's just that none of the future happens, which is why Bruce Willis vanishes, simply vanishes. Right, he vanishes, but then everything that he did up to that point also would not have happened. Yes, because, that's why he vanishes. Right, but he vanishes, but then the, 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 the whole explosion in the field, all the guys coming to the house looking for them, all of that, none of that would have happened. It all should have somehow reset, right? No, it's just different. We just created there's different different timelines. Ah, it's not, it's ah see now then then, then you're getting then, the but see then you're getting into a uh, divergent timeline. Then you're getting into reworking the the way that they set up you know the mythology because they 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 established at the beginning of the film you can't do this if you you know if we just kill the young Looper it's gonna mess things up so very severely and and make things too messy, but it didn't do that at the end right everything was still kind of set there so but even with the friend the friend in the beginning didn't they end up killing so many body parts that they killed him anyway i don't know because they show him like on a life support machine in that room remember yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh so okay so so what you're what they're saying is that they just kept him alive instead of killing him yes even though because he's by keeping blood. him alive even though he's in in sort of that unusable state going into the future he's still a part of the future somehow but by totally right. removing him it would somehow mess up time too much, right? So young Joe ends up taking that route, and he totally removes himself. So yeah, gives... but the thing is, that that's only because the the organization has planned that way. It's only to to ensure that the organization's history is 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 maintained. Young Joe doesn't have to worry about that. No, no, he doesn't. But then you know, it's actually my my loophole. The loophole that I thought was is that. If the Rainmaker was created because he saw some kind of trauma yeah. and he has some kind of grudge against the Loopers, what is that grudge? Because that scene in the field never happened in Young Joe's original timeline when he becomes Bruce Willis. And that's a good point, too. <laughs> so I don't know how the Rain... But of course, if you that's the, what I was talking about, how the outside speculation... Yeah. You have to kind of throw in a lot of your own speculation is that, one, you have to assume that... that um, Either the mother end up not raising him right because without young Joe, without yeah. Joe's, uh, 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 without learning that lesson from from the attempted murder on her son, um, that that somehow she still screws it up, or or that some kind of event would have caused him to become bad anyway. Um, but actually, what doesn't explain is why does he have a grudge against Loopers if yeah. Bruce Willis didn't kill his mom in the original timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if the so what, a, what is the grudge yeah. with the Rainmaker against Loopers yeah. anyway? Because it's another. It's a another against Loopers, right? But it doesn't explain why. Yeah. Um. If and, and if nothing happened, if none of that stuff in the field happened, why we have a grudge against Loopers, right? Um. And, and so also one, by the by one, the end point um, when Joe and when also young... when actually one of the things that I read uh, I read an article from Wall Street Journal uh, explaining the film hit that writer's speculation is that young Joe killing himself doesn't ensure that the Rainmaker won't be created because it's still an uncertain future, right? Yes. And he still has the power. For the Rainmaker, just like the oh. Terminator in Skynet. Yes, it, it could still happen. He's just, he is simply doing what he could 
in order to make sure it doesn't happen. But actually, there is is still uncertain that yeah. the remake could still be created and all that stuff could still happen. But the the like the moment that Young Joe dies, Will McAvoy, I mean Jeff Daniel, should come back to life. <laughs> well, no, because old. No, but actually, all that stuff has already happened in that timeline. So, um, he's already been killed. But it won't happen. It couldn't happen. No, but it did happen already. Yeah, but then... It already did happen. It's not like he traveled in time and then went back in time to go to the field. That already happens. It's that he, he disappeared at that time. So so then then the theory is is that there are multiple time branches that occur. Yes. And, and that set up, you know, but then that's so problematic, right? It, it, it just gives me a headache thinking about it. Yeah, but essentially in this new timeline, Joe dies... All the loopers are dead. The entire organization shouldn't have been created because there are no, no more loopers. Yeah. Um, but you're still heading into an uncertain future where the Rainmaker could possibly still be created. But there is hope because the mom might have learned her lesson to really, to really, to really raise her son properly. Yeah. And so that is, in a way, is optimistic. But at the same time, it's still very open ended. Yeah. And Summer Ching never flips a bird at Bruce Willis, and uh, Bruce Willis never gets a tiger tattoo. So. Yes, yes. That's what's most important. <laughs> but yeah, right. I think the thing that we none of us can ever explain, that's a big loophole, is why does why does the Rainmaker have a loop again, have, or have a grudge against loopers? Yeah, I well, the, I mean, that, that you can still speculate something happens to his mom, and because of that, he grows up evil. Yes, but the, again, the, okay, so yeah, it, so he becomes evil, that's easy. I mean, that's, that's totally, that makes sense, but... Yeah. His, but his but the specific main thing grudge, was that yeah, doesn't he was make sense. going after loopers first. Remember? Yeah. So, so what made him? If he didn't, if the looper didn't kill his mom, or if the looper didn't cross him somehow, um, or what would the loopers do to cause him to have a to have a grudge? We don't know. We'll find out in Looper Two. <laughs> loop the loopers. Yes. Loop did he loop? All right. Fruit loopers. Fruit yes. loopers. That's what it's going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we've. Uh, Spent enough time bending our brain on all of those uh, potential problems, so let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Kenneth in the chat room chat room writes uh, the sequel will be called Loop Harder. <laughs> I think that will be the uh, the uh, porn uh, parody version, right? <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. I think that's a show. Uh, no comments this week, but if you would like to be part of the show, you can always head over to our website, Concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Uh, leave us some feedback over there, questions, comments. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check us out on iTunes. Uh, leave us a nice review that helps us out, uh, gets us a little bit more notice over there. And uh, twitter.com slash concast if you want to follow the updates of the show, though I do apologize because uh, it took me a week to update the last show, but hopefully I'll have uh, this one up fairly soon. Uh, twitter.com slash foxlore if you're interested in following some of the stuff that I do, although uh, I'm kind of on task the, the, this semester to tweet with uh, some of my students, so I'll be posting up a lot of, like, media studies stuff. 
uh, mostly for my students. So, but I would urge you to recommend, I would urge you to follow uh, the recommendations and the tweets of Mr. Kevin Ma. That is twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, where he tweets about all kinds of very useful information, particularly if you are interested in Asian cinema. Uh, Gmail, you can hit us up over at eastscreen at gmail.com. Again, send us comments, questions, feedback. If you'd like to send an audio file, short review, whatever, uh, you can send it in MP3 format, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, Also, uh, we have a Facebook, facebook.com slash eastswests for show updates. Kevin handles that, and I'm on Google+. You can just follow me, Paul Fox, on Google+, and I do some show excuse me, some show updates over there as well. Uh, Stitcher, we are on Stitcher. If you are iTunes-averse, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, your WebOS phones, um, or any other smart device. Uh, Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gubbers of Schnauzer Studios for the theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for arranging and organizing our movie nights here in Hong Kong. Um, and of course, if you'd like to be a part of those, uh, you know, drop me a line over at Google Plus and I'll get you in the loop. Uh, Kevin, the K-Man, for being here with me each and every week for the past uh, 127, uh, soon to be 128 shows. And of course, all of you, the listeners, whether you are amongst the gents in the chat room with us this evening, listening in on the live stream or listening to us in podcast form. Uh, we like the fact that you're out there listening and uh, we appreciate your support. Next show, 128. Uh, what are we going to be talking about? Looks like uh, the latest Hong Kong feature comedy film, Love is Pajamas. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to wear pajamas to the screening of the film. That's the rumor anyway, and I'm not going to deny it. Uh, anything else coming out between uh, now and next week? Uh, we also have the Japanese film, Helter Skelter. Helter um, Skelter, ah, yes. The uh, Beauty is Deadly and Dangerous movie, right? Yes, yes. Starring uh, Erika Sarajini. Isn't that just a um, remake of, like, screen, we'll Slim Till Dead? At... What's that? Isn't that just a remake of Hong Kong's Slim Till Dead? Oh, I think <laughs> it's a little different from that. Hopefully. I'm hoping. But yeah, West Screen, we also have Ruby Sparks, the, the fantasy indie comedy, uh, Richard Gere and Arbitrage. Um, Dax Shepard's debut film Hit and Run mm-hmm. um, yeah a bunch of choices um, there's also a body one we call Kaani that I highly highly recommend Paul sorry what did you say um, I've already seen the film a long time ago and it's quite an old film so I don't think we would talk about it but you said it's, it's called what? it's an excellent what? excellent film and you should check it out what's the name? Kaani Kaani Sounds like a great name. Honey. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's an excellent, excellent, like Hitchcockian style thriller about a pregnant woman trying to find her missing husband. Great film. Check it out. Definitely check it out. You have a chance. Um, yeah. So any of those films we'll probably talk about next week. All right. Uh, so hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about uh, between now and then, depending on what we can get out and see. Of course, coming down the pipe, uh, we've got some other big stuff. Uh, my, one of my favorite or most anticipated films of this year, Frankenweenie, is coming out. I'm really looking forward to seeing that, uh, particularly now that it is the Halloween season that is upon us. Um, so lots of stuff coming down the pipe, but uh, all of that 
and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Talk.